shown us a different way in, in Jesus that it's not. And that it really is the cry of our hearts, deep, deep down. It's just to give you thanks, to say thank you, and to offer our gratitude for not leaving us to ourselves, but for, for providing for us in Christ. And we give you thanks. We welcome you with praise in his name. Amen. Well, like Fred and Brandon said, we're really glad that you're here. And um, actually kind of blown away every week that you come. <laughs> we're glad that God brings you here. And um, it's always just kind of a humbling thing. Uh, we say this a lot when the kind of the first car peels into the parking lot and uh, turns in. And so we're grateful. We don't take it for granted. And um, we really believe it's, it's a gift from the Lord. So thank you for being here. I want to read from Galatians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there or if you want to use your iPod or your phone or if you just want to listen, that's okay too. Uh, but we're in a, a study of Galatians talking about what it really means to be in Christ, to be forgiven and free. It's the Apostle Paul and he's writing to these believers and he says, Oh foolish Galatians! What magician has cast an evil spell on you? For you used to see the meaning of Jesus Christ's death as clearly as though I had shown you a signboard with a picture of Christ dying on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? Of course not. For the Holy Spirit came upon you only after you believed the message you heard about Christ. Have you lost your senses? <laughs> after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? <laughs> you have suffered so much for the good news. Surely it was not in vain, was it? Are you now just going to throw it all away? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law of Moses? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Well, welcome back to Galatians. In this passage... The Apostle Paul has reached a threshold of patience with this matter that he's been dealing with in this letter. You see, the gospel that God had given to him is a gospel of freedom. And these believers to whom he was writing are choosing to remain bound. His is a gospel of supernatural enablement. It's what we might call this idea of victory. It's a freedom over stubborn past and habits and, and things gone wrong, but yet they somehow love staying in that hopeless and powerless experience. His is a gospel of freedom and grace. That means it's all free. It cannot be earned. Yet they prefer to remain kind of immature and petty. He's frustrated. 
He gets to this point in this letter as he's writing and he's thinking about all that could be and everything that they could be experiencing and they're not because of this kind of bizarre addition to the gospel which is keeping a list of human rules and standards. He calls it the law of Moses because in that context, in that time, that's exactly what it was. And I wonder this question, and I ask myself, and I want to ask all of you, could God be frustrated with us, with our family, with our faith? Not because you're not doing enough, but because you insist on continuing to do more to somehow prove something. But yet he has done everything and offers to continue to do it all for you through grace and through spirit. You see, these believers were succumbing to the cultural pressure that was calling them to embrace kind of a faith plus message. Faith plus you. Faith plus your effort. Faith plus common sense. Faith plus kind of your frenetic, busy life. Faith plus circumcision in this kind of literal context. Faith plus, faith plus, faith plus. More, more, more. I'll try harder. I'll try more. And and Paul says, listen, you're foolish. This is insane. You've lost your minds. You have no idea what is at your disposal in Christ. And you want to go back to religion. Doesn't make any sense. And it's a brand of Christianity that adds human effort and ability and achievement. And it focuses on externals. It adds kind of the the externals to the equation and totally discounts the gift, the wondrous gift of the supernatural life, the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter, and he's he's kind of winding down his ministry, and he, he wants to deliver some final things to Timothy as he kind of takes up the the torch of the gospel. And he says, listen, there's going to be times, he calls them the end times, the last days, when this is what it's going to look like. Not in the world. You're you're going to know when things are coming in glue outside in the world. But here's what it's going to look like in the church. People are going to give up on the power of the gospel. And they're going to add to themselves people who just tell them, Things that make them feel good about themselves. They they just like their ears tickled. They want to feel good when they leave the church. So don't challenge me with anything hard. You know, don't kind of, don't put anything in front of me that's going to make me really think about my life or my lifestyle. Just make me feel good about who I am. You know, just talk about love and talk about goodness and God wants all your dreams to come true and all of this other stuff. And Paul says, listen, when you start hearing that kind of stuff and you start seeing that in the church, you need to look up. But then he said something else. And this is what I want us all to hear. People in the church in those times will have a form of, of godliness but it won't have any power (laughs) it's going to look like Christianity it's going to talk like Christianity it's going to sound like Christianity it's going to sing like Christianity it's even going to feel like Christianity but it's going to have no power to change anybody's life it's not going to make a difference that's what he's talking about 
because you're so confident, you're still pursuing the things that you can do and all of your achievements and all of your human effort, you're still trying to prove to God and everyone else around you that you've got it all together and it's a form of godliness. It looks good, it looks right, it even looks virtuous, but the game is up, there's no power. You, you could not break free from what holds you if your life depended on it with that kind of focus. And he's frustrated. Now, he, he really hits it straight on here. He, first of all, he says, you foolish Galatians. He calls them fools. Right, We've got to give him some room here. He, like I said, he's, he's passionate about this freedom and this grace. And by the way, we are too here. We're really passionate that, that you experience the freedom and grace in Christ Jesus. And so Paul was passionate about it. And so we want to give him a little margin here to kind of show some emotion as he's wrestling with this. But then he says something that is much more theological. And it's easy to miss. He says, what magician has cast his spell on you? An evil spell on you. You see, this, this is not just some sort of human experience. There is something much more insidious at play here. There's an evil force. He calls it a spell. Listen, if you are under this kind of brand of faith plus Christianity, you're in a trance. You've been duped. And it's an evil power. You're just going through the motions, doing more and more and more and more and more, and you're just in a trance. You, this is an evil spell that's been cast. You're not experiencing any power in your life. That's a problem. That's why he says, have you lost your minds? And then he does something unbelievable. He takes them back to the beginning, and he says, listen, I want you to focus on a picture I'm going to show you a picture. And the picture is the cross. It's the cross. And the cross, in, in, in all its wonder, and all of its mystery, and, and it's shrouded by all of this symbolism and, and everything that swirls around it, when it gets down to the very base knowledge and understanding of what the cross is, the cross is the fact that Jesus Christ died for sinners. He shed his blood on the cross for your sins so that you could have forgiveness and you could experience freedom and you could be made right with a holy, powerful, gracious, unbelievable creator God. And he did that on the cross. And the point is, it's finished. It's done. It's the cross plus nothing it's done. He's called you to be in his power and nothing of your own. And Paul says, look at the cross. It's the clear picture of the gospel. The work is finished. You don't have to prove anything to anyone anymore. Why do you keep trying to prove something to everyone around you? 
to your friends, your fellow believers, to prove you're the best of this and the best of that, and you've got this all together and all this other stuff. You have nothing to prove. Christ proved everything for you at the cross. That's why his final expression, the words that came out of his mouth right before he took his last breath were this. There were three words. It is done. It's finished. That's the gospel. That's the work. That's what he did. Your salvation, your reward, your self-worth, your value, your future, your measure as a person, as a husband, as a, as a wife, a daughter, a son, a minister, a friend, it's all found in him. It's all found in what he has done for you on the cross. What do I need to do, says the Christian today? I've got to do something. Here's what you do. You believe and enjoy the gift that God has given you. And in that believing, what you begin to experience is his power. The spirit of God that empowers you and enables you and frees you and heals you and delivers you from fear, from inadequacy, from that relentless perfectionism, from low self-esteem, from anger, from shame. It's all accomplished at the cross. And then he asks the question, how did you come to know God anyway? Did you do it by any of your effort? Did you do it by keeping the law? No, you believed. It's the work of the Spirit. Now, there's a passage in Ephesians. You don't have to turn there if you don't want it. It's just a few pages to the right of, of Galatians. It's the very first kind of expression of Paul's letter to the, to the church at Ephesus. And this is what he emphasizes. I just want you to listen to this. You can turn there if you want. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. This is, this is the Apostle Paul again. This time he's not frustrated. Okay? He's, he's actually kind of out of his mind with, with joy. He says, How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus because we belong to Christ. How about that? He gives praise. He actually just kind of... It's just it's this kind of um, spontaneous eruption of praise to God because he's realizing how blessed you are, how blessed I am, how blessed we are. Every spiritual blessing you could possibly imagine or desire is found in Christ, in the heavenly realms, because we belong to Christ. Do you know that? That is who you are if you are in Christ. Everything that is possibly imagined or even realized or understood or known about the wonder and provision and resources of the heavenly realms and the person and power and provision of Christ, do you know that that was given to you by his spirit when you said, yes, I believe? You've got it all. The resources of heaven are at your disposal for you for your marriage, for your family, for your future. It's there. And it's incomprehensible. It's inexhausted. You could not run out of that supply if you tried. But yet we try and we strive and we do and we do and we, we make our marks and we put our stars on the board and we do all this stuff because we still desire to rely on ourselves, There's something about the human spirit, especially the good old American dream, that says we got to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps. we got to do something. Here's my resume. <laughs> God says, I don't need that. Thank you. It's nice. But I don't need that. God says, here's my son. 
It's everything you need. That's the gospel. That's Ephesians. <laughs> Back to Galatians. He's concerned that these believers not fall prey to this this, this error in teaching that is, is kind of drawing them back to a trust in religion, to trust in somehow keeping a set of rules and human standards in order to experience the favor and power of God. But you see, the same way you came to know God through faith in Jesus Christ, that's the same way you live for God. It's through faith in Him. Not through faith in yourself. Your power, your enablement, your, your physical abilities, your, your brain power, your knowledge, all that other stuff. No, it's through the power of Christ. You trust in him. It's the power of that spirit that makes it all possible. You see, our entire system of measuring everything is based on human effort. We, we can't escape it in the human experience. The one who, who kind of makes the most effort gets the best reward. We reward effort, not faith. Common sense and practicality more than simple trust because we simply can't find a way in ourselves to trust in something that we cannot see. We do it for our salvation because we're so desperate when we realize that we are, we're condemned, we're lost without this power. But then after that, we kind of check that at the door and go back to our list. But we rarely seek him for wisdom on how to raise our kids. Do you know that there is unbelievable resources for you, wisdom in the heavenly places in Christ that is available to you as a mom, as a dad, as a single mom, as a parent, as a couple to help you find your way through this the, the, the strange and often confusing world of just raising kids in this world. Wow, how often do we just plow through or pick up another book or pop in another CD or, you know, just find some other little slick thing to just get us through rather than just bowing before the God of the universe and knowing that in Christ you have resources, you have wisdom that he will deliver to you. That's, that's the power of the Spirit. Now, the apostle does say also that the scriptures, the word of God, places a high bar on us. Now don't let this confuse you. I don't want to seem like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. But look what he says. He says in verse 4 of Galatians 3, You have suffered so much for the good news. Surely it was not in vain, was it? Are you now going to just throw it all away? And again, I want to ask you this question. Now, here's, here's the bar. Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law of Moses? Of course not. It's because you believe. You know what the, the standard that the Word of God places on you in your life if you are in Christ? That's it, that God will give you power and actually work miracles in your life. He wants to do something miraculous for you. He wants you to come out on the other side of whatever happens to be your deal. Not enough time, not enough money, not enough energy. You need him to just move some sort of barrier for you to begin to really... Whatever it happens to be your thing, he really wants to 
Show himself powerful for you. He wants to work miracles for you. Paul reminds us that the scripture keeps the bar very high. Does God work miracles for you if you are so busy and frenetically trusting in yourself? Nope, he can't. He does it through his spirit. His spirit, his Holy Spirit, when you trust him. How can God be powerful in your life if you insist on proving something by your effort? How can God work miracles in this place, just in this ministry, if if the only things we rely on are ourselves or our resources rather than trusting God to supply all of our needs according to the riches of grace that are in Christ Jesus? Now, we're looking at our centennial. It's an exciting time, honestly, to think about 100 years of ministry. But we look back, and there are some, there's some tough things to acknowledge. There were times, even in this work, that, that the standard was different. It was all about, you know, hair length and what you wore and what you couldn't wear and what you couldn't do. It was all about that. You know, you can't dance and you can't, you can't listen to music that's got a little bit of a beat. And, you know, that's bad because that's of the devil and all this other stuff. is nonsense. It's just stuff that people dump onto the gospel because it keeps them kind of feeling comfortable. It has nothing to do with the power of Christ. Imagine. Did you come to know God because you got a haircut? Did you experience his grace and forgiveness because you stopped listening to rock music? Were you delivered from your addiction because you threw away all your jeans and started wearing skirts? Isn't that crazy? We may, not, we may not be compelling people to wear certain clothes or dictating what kind of music people listen to or don't listen to in the name of Christianity, but listen, we're far from guiltless in perpetuating a more subtle form of legalism that promotes self-effort, self-promotion, understanding and abilities rather than a full and, yes, reckless trust and confidence in the power and spirit of Almighty God. And a generation, maybe two generations of young people looked at that brand of religion and said, saw right through it. And they walked away from the church. They said, man, that looks like religion, but there's no power there. That's not for me. Power comes to your life. Freedom comes to your life when you believe the message you heard about Jesus Christ. And that is this. He did everything for you. And it's done. There's a story 
It's also in the New Testament. It's in one of the Gospels, and I, I want us to just look at it briefly. It, it's what this looks like. It's from John's Gospel. John chapter 9. Just listen. You can turn if you want, but just listen. I want you to see the contrast between religion and the genuine item. Between legalism and the power of Christ. Jesus was walking along and he saw a man who had been blind since birth. Got the picture? He sees a man in the road who's been blind since birth, which means he has no job, no means to support himself, and in that culture, no technology, no help, no braille, no nothing, and he's sitting in the dust, an outcast from, from the rest of society, and Jesus sees him. That's the picture. Teacher, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or those of his parents? That's his disciples asking that question. Who sinned? Him or his mom and dad? That's their religion coming out. It, it's in their software. It's fully operational. They see the same thing Jesus did and all of a sudden they think this has got to be, be, it's got to be his fault. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. Now listen to the contrast. He was born blind so the power of God could be seen in him. <laughs> wow, what a different perspective. Did you hear that? This is so power can happen. He was born blind so that Almighty God could demonstrate his power through this. What a different perspective. All of us must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent me because there is little time, Jesus said, before the night falls and all work comes to an end. But while I am still here in the world, I am the light of the world. This is Jesus. Now watch this. Then he spit on the ground. He made mud with his saliva and smoothed the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed. <laughs> and he came back seeing. Now that's a miracle. Does God work miracles in your life because you trust in some brand of religion? Or because when Jesus says, go wash that mud off in that pond, and I'm going to show you my power. He came back seen. See the difference? Now watch this story. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar. By, by the way, you have neighbors and others in your life who know you. And they're watching your situation and so they, they, they knew him, and they said, is this the same guy, that beggar? 
Some said he was, and others said, no, it can't be, but it looks like him. <laughs> this is real. And the beggar kept saying, no, I'm him, I'm the man. I'm the same guy, that's me. They asked, well, who healed you? What, what happened? And this is what he said. Well, that man, they called Jesus, he made mud, and he smoothed it over my eyes, and then he told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash off the mud. So I went, and I washed off the mud, and now I can see. That's power. That's power. Well, where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. So they took the man to the Pharisees. Well, they took him to church. Well, we've got to figure this out. So they took him to the religious leaders, the religious elite, the people who are supposed to know. And now as it happened, Jesus, he healed this man on a Sabbath. Now that was, that was bad. So the Pharisees asked the man all about it. They interviewed him. They actually interrogated this man. So he told them, <laughs> well, okay, he took the mud and he smoothed it over my eyes. And then he told me to go over to this pool and wash off. And so I did. And now I see... <laughs> He just told them the story again. That's power. Some of the Pharisees said, well, this man, Jesus, he's not from God because he did this on the Sabbath. You can't do that on Sunday. Others said, well, how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? And, the, and it, was just, it was chaos. John says there was division among them. Then the Pharisees once again questioned the man who had been blind, and they demanded, this man who opened your eyes, who do you say that he is? The man replied, well, I guess he's a prophet. I mean, he didn't know. The Jewish leaders, they, they wouldn't believe that he had been blind, so they called in his parents, and they interviewed them, and they said, is this your son? Was he born blind? Can you imagine this, this is what legalism in the church has done for the last three generations. Just drawn people in and interrogated them and <laughs> made them undress in front of them. Is this you? Is this your life? Is this what you've done? Is it? it's, it's nonsense. Now watch what happened. The parents replied, well, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how it happened or who healed him. But he's old enough to speak for himself, so ask him. And they said this, John says, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. That's sad. They were afraid. Who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. And that's why they said, is he old enough to speak for himself? So ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been born blind, and they told him, give glory to God by telling the truth, because we know that Jesus is a sinner, and this is the man's reply. Are you ready for this? I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. All I know <laughs> is this. I was blind, but now I can see. <laughs> I was in bondage, but now I'm free. My life was debilitated by anxiety and worry. Now I'm filled with joy and peace because Christ is doing this for me. I was filled with a sense of paralyzing inadequacy and a, and a fear of my past and what it could bring in. 
But now, now I know that Christ has done this for me and I'm free. I don't know how he did it, but I was blind, but now I see. Over and over, he gives witness to the power of God. And I want to ask you a question. Does God do that for you because you keep rules or because you do all this stuff on your own to prove your self-worth? No, no, he doesn't. He does it through the power of his spirit because Christ did everything at the cross and now you're free. Speak his name. that's strange then they cursed him and said you are his disciples but we are disciples of Moses we know God spoke to Moses but as for this man we don't know anything about him (sighs) wow that's weird the man replied he healed my eyes and yet you don't know anything about him well God doesn't listen to sinners but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will Never since the world began has anyone been able to open the eyes of someone born blind? Has anyone been able to do that on this planet? With all the medicine and technology and science and all that, has anyone ever been able to take someone who's been born blind since birth and make them see? No, of course not. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do this. Pharisee said, listen, you were born in sin. They answered, are you trying to teach us? And guess what? They threw him out of the synagogue. Great. Great. You're free. You're forgiven. You've been healed. Get out. You see, here's the problem. People who have never experienced the grace and freedom of Christ cannot abide people in their life who have and who are. And they will do everything in their power to silence you to put you out of their world, to put you out of their experience because it's too convicting. They don't want it. They, they love bondage. They love darkness. They want to stay in their debilitated state because it can, they can keep the focus on themselves. But the moment you start saying, listen, this is what Jesus Christ did for me. I don't know how he did it, but I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. That's when the power comes. If you are here this morning and you have never put your trust in this one, not me, not this church, not this ministry, not in some set of rules, but in a person, his name is Jesus Christ and he's powerful and he died on the cross for your sins. He did everything for you. If you've never done that, you're as lost as you possibly can be. You're as blind as you possibly can be, but I want to tell you right now, not through laws, not through religion, not by coming here, not by giving to this church, not by keeping a set of rules, but by believing in his name, he will set you free. He will give you something that no one could possibly give. And all you have to do is believe in his name. That's power. It's the cross. And it's yours. It's real power. It's power heads. Just let God speak. Listen, if this is you, if this is what you need in your life, all you have to do, you don't even have to open your mouth, just acknowledge before him, Lord God, I know I need this. I'm done. 
I'm done with this crazy life of just trying to do, 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 do. I just want to trust in what you have done. I want power. I want forgiveness. I believe in you, Jesus. I call upon your name. I want you to be my Savior. Receive him as your Lord and your God. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe you're a dad. Maybe you're a couple. And you're in Christ, but you've, you've somehow bought into this craziness of just doing more and more and more, and you're still without power. You can, you can experience freedom too, also, by trusting in his name, saying, yes, I believe this. I want this in my life. Just bow before him, fall at his feet, and let him bless you with the cross. This altar is going to be open. You can come. You can pray. We will pray with you. You can stay in your seat. Just let God do this for you once and for all for the praise and glory of his name.